You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, March 18th, 2021. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Elia Shannon explains updates on campus and local issues with details on COVID-19 screening and addiction recovery support in Fort Collins. After that, Jonathan Gillum will update us on CSU athletics, and then you'll be hearing a new episode of Takes from the Anthropocene discussing climate change-related displacement. Then I'll discuss U.S. vaccination goals and anti-Asian racism in the U.S. before speaking to Krista McAllister from CTV about student involvement. After that, I'll give you new information on COVID-19 statistics and then speak to Natalie Wayland from The Collegian about the April local election. Let's move right into campus and local news with Ellie Shannon. Hey everyone, this is Ellie Shannon, and we are still in our ninth week of classes here at Colorado State University. COVID saliva testing is still available to students, staff, and faculty at Mac Gym in the Recreation Center, the Veterinary Teaching Hospital on South Campus, and at Moby Arena parking lot. For information on COVID-19 protocols and cases at CSU, you can visit covid.colostate.edu. A proposed ordinance up for a vote in the April 6th ballot could impel the city of Fort Collins to purchase the land that was formerly Hughes Stadium, according to Natalie Wayland of the Collegian. CSU, in conjunction with Leonard Corporation, has developed a plan to turn the old stadium into affordable housing for CSU staff and faculty, as well as adding a transit center. If the city of Fort Collins purchases it, though, it could reserve the area as a natural open space. More updates are to come on this, and a Q&A with Natalie Wayland and Coda Babcock about the election will be featured in around 30 minutes on the Rocky Mountain Review. Fort Collins resident Millie Mitchell has been working on the Aluminum Alchemist for six years, a program that allows anyone to donate aluminum cans in exchange for money for scrap metal that goes towards addiction recovery services. After her son struggled with addiction, Mitchell saw the lack of help with addiction in Fort Collins. You can check out this story by Natalie Wayland on The Collegian as well at collegian.com. As the one-year mark since the start of the coronavirus pandemic has passed, Provost and Executive Vice President Mary Peterson has updated CSU on what to expect for the 2021 summer session. The university plans to have about 40% of classes to be delivered face-to-face or hybrid, while the rest will be delivered online. Registration opens March 23rd for students. Make sure to tune in to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear Coda and Ivy from 4 to 5 p.m. And always make sure to tune in to KCSU. I'm Ellie Shannon, and you're listening to 90.5 FM. Hey, here's a tissue. Thanks. I've been trying to keep up with all my classes and trying not to get sick so I don't freak out everyone with just a simple sneeze. Hey, don't be so hard on yourself. We're living in a global pandemic after all. Try and remember to always wear your mask, wash your hands for 20 seconds, cover your cough, sneeze in your elbow, and oh, try and disinfect everything you use on campus. That's it. Well, when you put it that way, it's actually kind of simple. Yep, and remember, keep tuned to 90.5 KCSU for more tips on COVID and great shows with live DJs, music, and more. That's only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
this past year has brought some interesting challenges and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. Hello and good afternoon, Rams fans and KCSU listeners. It's Jonathan Gillen for KCSU Sports, bringing with your sporting news. Well, we have an eventful weekend once again in Rams sports. CSU Volleyball is playing Fresno State here in the two-game series, first on Friday night and then on Saturday night. The game starts at 5 p.m., and those will be streamed here live on KCSU. Uh, men's basketball starts the NIT, and they will play versus Buffalo. That is also at 5 p.m. Moving on to Saturday, men's golf has their national invitational tournament, day one. Softball has been postponed. And uh, women's soccer is going to play at Laramie, Wyoming, against the Cowboys at 1 p.m. And once again, volleyball is playing Saturday. That game is going to be at 2 p.m., though. Just a... Just a reminder, 2 p.m. And then moving on to Sunday, men's golf will continue their tournament in Arizona. And another reminder again that, yes, softball has been postponed. All right, listeners, that's all I got for you. hope everyone has a fantastic weekend, and hopefully we don't get too much snows. For KCSU, I'm Jonathan Gillum, and I'll catch you next time. It is common knowledge to us that global warming and climate change are continuing to implement risks on our daily lives. As the ice caps melt, warmer temperatures continue to rise and the sea level begins to rise, which displaces people influenced by these environmental issues. According to Columbia University, 40% of the world's population live less than a mile from the coast. And it's pretty scary to realize that so much of the world's population are at risk for displacement influenced by sea level rise or if they aren't already. Also, uh, another part is the Western influence of nature impacts these environmental issues in a negative way because of how it regards nature as a whole. Hello, I'm Mariel Hahn, and you just heard from Claire Toggin, a third-year anthropology major here at CSU. Claire is our guest speaker on today's podcast regarding displacement influenced by environmental challenges. How are you today, Claire? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Let's jump into some questions right away, if you don't mind. Regarding some takeaways from your introduction, why is westernization not a healthy approach towards the environment? So westernization, influence of nature, only utilizes nature for its exchange value or extraction of resources. According to Lisi Crawl, we have this uneducated perception about nature where we only regard it for its profit gain. For example, if you look at our agricultural system today, it's influenced by the use of pesticides and herbicides and degrades land and a loss of species as well instead of appropriately responding to the environment for reasonable crop growth and 
Lisi Kroll also mentions some trends of the history of Judeo-Christianity. They believe that nature is a sinful place that must be tamed. Although this isn't really said word for word much today, it's the trends still lie within this westernization influence of nature, as well as a class structure of who gets the privilege to explore nature. So upper class has the privilege to explore nature and so forth. Meanwhile, lower class doesn't get that opportunity to. Um, and finally, a disregard of indigenous views of nature, but these should be more represented and understood today. And what threats do we face today regarding the environment? So going off of the indigenous relationship viewpoint, not acknowledging this as an appropriate measure for our relationships with nature can lead to a lot of issues. According to Kyle White, some of these issues include economic ruin, health impairments, political conflicts, a displacement, and cultural loss. Kyle White also mentions the negative influence of colonialism, industrialism, and capitalism. These are also influenced by westernization view of nature and represent those themes as well. Going off of in my intro talking about global warming, there is the continuous rise of a two degrees Celsius of the global temperatures. So if we reach this point, uh, which I hope we never do, this is almost a point of no return basically. Uh, where we will see even worse patterns of climate change and global warming than we already do, as well as uh, displacement for people in the coastal communities. And according to the Union of Concerned Scientists, this displacement will lead to loss of property value and increased poverty levels in the United States. More so on, on sea level rise, according to Yale, since 2006, glaciers were losing 22 to 40 billion tons of ice per year, and it's estimated by 2100, these sea levels could rise more than two or six and a half feet, which with the increase of carbon emissions, which will greatly displace uh, so many people. What are some examples of displacement influenced by environmental challenges? So authors Marino and Lazarus, they look at their research example of Shishmaref, Alaska. This is an Inupiat community on the west coast of Alaska. It's a indigenous community where their economy is influenced by harvesting and fishing over time, with sea level rise and displacement influences, their jobs have been lost and food resources are depleting. So 27% live below the poverty line and their population is only 563 as of 2010. As erosion increases, storms increase, and infectious disease rises because the water is contaminated from erosion. In fall of 2012, there was a storm that took out 30 feet of land in just one night. And finally, and since 2002, their only solution to that they have thought of is to move more inland from the coast as the sea levels rise because there's a lack of support and funding and overall knowledge of these displacement challenges in these communities. Another example is demonstrated by authors Maldonado et al. And they look at their study of the Isle de Jean Charles in Terrebonne Parish, Louisiana. This coastal community is a fishing and hunting primarily for their economy, and there's similar trends as there are in Shishmarif of the loss of their food resources and job resources. Louisiana faces some of the highest rates of sea level rise in the world, and this community in particular was greatly challenged by the 2010 BP oil spill that created these health problems took out their food, their ecosystems. These authors mention that if nothing's done, by 2050, this aisle could be gone forever. 
more so about both of these places. In Alaska and Louisiana, their economy, their education, their health infrastructure and culture are being challenged. It's not just the environment or the people that are facing these risks. It's so many systems, too. And more so about sea level rise, according to Marino and Lazarus, as the salt affects their water supply, which increases health issues and diseases, and ocean acidification increases surface temperatures as continues to come on the land, as well as destroying these ecosystems and, and coral colonies. Coral colonies are these natural barriers that protect the coast from storm surges, but because these are being wiped out, it's creating these more vulnerable areas to these coastal communities. So how are bureaucratic organizations responding to displaced communities like the ones in Alaska and Louisiana? So going kind of off of the example of Louisiana, there's a lot of environmental impacts from oil companies. But according to Maldonado et al., they emphasize that there's no change with oil companies because they bring profit to the economy. So why would you want to get rid of them if they bring so much money into the United States? And these authors also continue to explain that these disaster relief programs the funds are only available after the storm, so it doesn't regard acute accumulation of placement issues of these environmental problems. Again, with federal programs, can be unavailable a lot of times to tribal communities, and these are groups that are the most affected by displacement. Finally, uh, Dr. Brown wrote a book called Standing in the Need about her ethnographic research on a black family that suffered during Hurricane Katrina in 2005, and some of the examples of the bureaucratic help after the storm was quite heartbreaking. For example, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, provided these temporary living spaces for families when they came back to Louisiana after the storm. We're only supposed to be in here temporarily as their homes were being rebuilt, but we're in here for 18 months or more, which didn't help with mental help or larger families um, were separated, too, because they couldn't fit everybody in these tiny places. They were also getting insurance clearances from Road Home, and this could take some of the families didn't get their insurance clearances for three or more years, which was incredibly frustrating to read because a lot of them had to pay for food and medicine and support their family and their children, and not getting these resources for this long of a time is incredibly heartbreaking to know. Brown also mentions about the extremely comprehensive relation between employees from FEMA and callers getting help. They were barely assisting the people who needed help and were just designed to read a set script and get callers off the phone, it sounded like. I like to mention the, the language barrier between these employees and callers. So it's commonly spoken throughout Louisiana, African-American vernacular English, which originates from Creole and is not really understood in Western syntax. So it is incredibly frustrating when you have these two people that can't really understand each other and one doesn't really want to help the other as well. So what are some approaches that we can use to solve climate change influence displacement? One of the big things that I would love to push for is incorporating indigenous voices and indigenous relations with nature. And this includes themes of reciprocity, balance, harmony, um, and kind of a give or take putting in to the environment in a healthy approach and the environment gives back to you rather than depleting it, changing the land for your own benefit and responding to it in a healthy manner so that there's a beneficial relationship between humans, nature, and all living species. Maldonado et al. emphasizes the point of protecting tribal rights as they are the most affected by 
displacement and the preservation of coastal communities. And Marino and Lazarus recognize that ecological challenges impact our social, cultural, economic, political systems and our health infrastructure. So adapting these systems and and programs with a more sustainable response to the environment and incorporating environmental law within these systems will greatly impact how we regard and take care of our environment today. But some good news, though, from the Union of Concerned Scientists, they say if we continue to decrease carbon emissions, we could reduce the risk by 80% by 2060. So there is a lot of hope for the future, but it, we really do need to act now because it is, it is important, and if we want to see these numbers, it's, it's urgent to continue caring for our environment now. Finally, renewable energy sources. Uh, this includes taking out oil companies and replacing them with solar energy or wind power, et cetera, but also emphasizing the point to make sure that people that do work in oil and gas companies do have jobs in more renewable energy sources so that we don't experience a incredible job loss as well as incorporating indigenous platform, indigenous voices to be heard on platforms, sustain, building more sustainable infrastructure and buildings. A lot of this is actually understood and mentioned in the Green New Deal that will hopefully be pushed when Biden takes office this January. So hopefully we can see some great changes to that. So it looks like there's a lot of room for improvement regarding environmental challenges, but implementing solutions to climate change and global warming seem to solve a lot of areas at once. Yeah, you're exactly right. There's not one solution regarding solving displacement issues influenced by environmental challenges. However, sustainable approaches appeal to solving a lot of these problems at once. I like how you mentioned some hopefulness for the future, but encourage urgency to act now. And I think you've helped listeners understand issues of displacement surrounding environmental challenges. Thank you. I hope they recognize the urgency and hopefulness, too. Thank you for joining us today, Claire. Thanks so much for your time. This past year has brought some interesting challenges, and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. KCSU thanks Tribal Rights for their continued underwriting support. Tribal Rights is located on College Avenue in Old Town, Fort Collins, and is a full custom tattoo, body piercing, and jewelry studio. Learn more at tribalrightstattoo.com.
And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard an episode of Takes from the Anthropocene discussing displacement caused by climate change. You can check out more podcast episodes by visiting kcsufm.com or searching Takes from the Anthropocene on Spotify. I'm Kota Babcock, and you're listening to National News Highlights for Thursday on the Rocky Mountain Review. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development recorded more than 580,000 homeless individuals in 2020. According to Pam Fessler at National Public Radio, this shows a 2% increase from 2019. Growth in homelessness rates in the U.S. were devastating, even prior to the pandemic. HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge said of the report that the nation has a, quote, moral responsibility to end homelessness. The report also showed that veteran and family homelessness became worse for the first time in years. Over 160,000 children were homeless while the count occurred, with approximately 11,000 living outdoors rather than in shelters or similar housing situations. Black Americans experienced a disproportionate rate of homelessness, making about, up about 39% of all homeless individuals, but just 13% of the U.S. population. These numbers also showed an increase in homelessness even prior to the pandemic. The United States expects to meet President Biden's 100 million vaccinations goal as soon as Thursday. According to Lauren Egan from NBC News, the president made this a goal for his first 100 days in office, and if this goal is met this week, that will put him ahead by more than 40 days. Wednesday, the U.S. reported more than 96 million shots administered, with an average of 2.5 million injections daily in the past week. Biden admitted in his first days that he expected to surpass this goal meeting 150 million within the first 100 days realistically rather than just 100 million. At the time of his goal, no vaccine had been cleared and production capacity was also unclear. Following multiple shootings at Atlanta massage parlors, Asian Americans organize against racism. According to Terry Tang, the attacks are believed to be racially motivated and target Asian American women. Across social media, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders expressed their emotions following a year of increased violence and discrimination. Aisha Yaqub Mahmoud said of this, quote, I think the reason why people are feeling so hopeless is because Asian Americans have been ringing the bell on this issue for so long. We've been raiding, raising the red flag, end quote. Mahmoud acts as the executive director of the Asian American Advocacy Fund, based in Atlanta with the focus of political and social advocacy for Georgia's Asian American community. And according to Kate Brumbach at the Associated Press, eight people died in these shootings while the suspect claims that these were not racially motivated. Six of the eight victims were women of Asian descent. That's all for national news highlights. Next up, we're going to be hearing from Krista McAllister about involvement with CTV. Then I'll discuss new updates with COVID-19 statistics. As we prepare for fall registration, KCSU wants to support students in knowing what involvement opportunities are out there. We've talked to folks from the Collegian as well as a faculty mentor from the CSU German Club. And today I'm joined by Krista McAllister to talk about CSU's other student-run broadcast news option, CTV. Before we get started, would you mind just telling us your pronouns and your role at CTV? Of course, my pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I'm the entertainment director of CTV. All right, and then to start off with, what's your personal favorite thing about working with CTV? I've been thinking about this a lot, and honestly, it's so hard to narrow down just because I have so many favorites, but my top favorite is honestly just the people. I know it's gonna sound super cliche, but it is really just 
a very tight-knit family um, at, at CTV. Um, I have never been a part of a group of people that are so passionate and hardworking and just consistent. Um, the amount of work that people put into making good shows is honestly incredible. And I'm just, I feel so honored and proud to, to call that my second home. For sure. And do you think that there are any misconceptions about working for a TV station or in student media in general? Definitely. Um, I think that, ironically, the media kind of portrays reporters in not the best light sometimes. Um, I think that reporters and those in, in the TV business can either be shown as people that are not not the most kind um, or that we but or that the job is really easy. Um, I think it's one of those those two ends of the spectrum. Um, but really it it is just something that we all work really hard for, but I think because we all have that same passion, that that same work ethic, we are a really tight knit group, but that doesn't mean that we're not unwelcoming to people. We always love getting new faces, um, getting to work with new people. And I think that um, there is kind of some negative stigmas, especially around reporters in general. Um, so, but if you see us out on campus looking for student voices, it's because we care. Um, it's because we want to hear student opinions and to show off the people that we have at CSU. We're in the business of telling stories. So that's all that we're doing. We're out to find those stories. For sure. And what do you think are some of the greatest benefits from working at CTV? Definitely. I think obviously if you want to go into um, more of the, the media realm into TV, we do provide a really solid learning opportunity. Um, you don't have to have any experience coming in, um, but we will get you trained. We'll get you the resources that you need. Um, beyond that, networking is a really big thing, even if it's just something that you're kind of doing for fun, if it's, if it's just a hobby. Like not everyone who works for us is planning on going into news reporting or the TV business long-term, um, but it is great to get your foot in the door if that is something you're looking for. If not, it's just a great place to meet people and to learn those communication skills because we communication is what we do. Um, so just learning how to be creative, to, to work with other people, those are all skills that will continue to help and benefit anyone in their life. Um, so it's just something that I think we provide a really solid opportunity for. And then CTV has both volunteers and paid positions, but for anyone interested in volunteering, how can they reach out to get more information? Definitely, that's how I got my start. I volunteered. Um, I think that the, the best thing to do is you can send an email expressing your interest to ctv at collegian.com. Um, just be like, hey, I would like to volunteer, um, and then we can get you fit in. We're always looking for volunteers, and that can range in things from working cameras, working in the studio, all the way up to filling in as an anchor. Um, so there are lots of volunteer opportunities. It's a great way to get your foot in the door. So you can just send uh, just an email expressing that interest to ctv at collegian.com. All right, and then student media has recently started its hiring season, as a lot of us working at KCSU, Collegian, and CTV all know. Um, how can interested people apply? And do you have to already be volunteering to apply for those positions? Of course. Um, so one, you do not have to already have that experience or you don't have to be volunteering. Um, and we would honestly love to love to have you, love to meet you. And the best way to get involved is you can either um, send, send uh, an, an 
email expressing your interest, as I had said before, to that same email, uh, ctvacollegian.com. Um, also, if you go to the Rocky Mountain Student Media website, um, then there is a work for us tab. If it's throughout the year, you can always fill out that, that form. Um, and then you can get involved in the different areas of student media. Tell us why you want to work for us. Um, and then obviously, if you are already a part of student media, we do use Slack um, as our main communication platform. Um, and so we will be publishing our um, job applications in the, the whole RMSMC chat. Um, so you can just apply from there. Um, but I think for, for the most part, the best way to kind of get involved is um, just sending, sending an email to CTV at Collegian and we will get you hooked up. It's a pretty straightforward process. Definitely. And is there anything else that you'd like to add about working for CTV, Rocky Mountain Student Media, or just being involved on campus at all? Of course. I honestly, uh, one of my roommates, she likes to say that every other conversation we have is about CTV. And I think that's just because I, I have such a passion for it. And that is reflected through everyone that you'll see working at CTV, whether it's volunteering a one-time thing or if people have been there for their whole year of college. Um, you'll see that. And I honestly don't know what my college experience would be like if it weren't for CTV, but I know that it wouldn't be near as good. All right. Thank you. Again, that was Krista McAllister from CTV. If you want to get in touch with her, you can reach out at CTV at Collegian.com. And now we're going to take a quick break, but when we're back, we're going to have the weather report. So stay tuned for that. Need to know how to fix your bike but don't know where to begin? The Hex Wenches at the Fort Collins Bike Co-op can teach you how to take care of your bike in an inclusive space during one of the educational series in the spring or fall. Hands-on classes are welcome to cis and trans women, non-binary, genderqueer, trans, and queer folks. More information can be found on their Facebook page, The Hex Wenches, or email hexwenches at gmail.com. And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard from Krista McAllister from CTV. Now for COVID-19 updates for Thursday. Vaccination rollouts in Colorado are now supporting student-facing faculty and some student employees in getting vaccinated. Colorado State University's cumulative case total since May 2020 is over 2,600. Students attending in-person courses are expected to be screened for COVID-19 on a weekly basis, and signups as well as other resources are available at covid.colostate.edu. Larimer County reports over 21,000 cases, 230 deaths, and 377 outbreaks in the county. Larimer meets criteria for a medium risk score, but is nearing the high-risk category. Over 131,000 vaccinations have been performed in the county, and on the state's most recent dial framework, Larimer ranks as a level yellow concern. 48 new positive cases have been reported in the past 24 hours, and 11 out of the past 14 days have seen at least 15 new cases each day. 22 COVID patients receive treatment in area hospitals, and overall hospital utilization is at 65%, while intensive care unit utilization reached 72% Tuesday. 
Larimer County reports a 14-day case rate of 213 per 100,000 residents, which is considered high. The state of Colorado reports over 445,000 cases and over 6,100 deaths due to COVID-19. Over 4,000 outbreaks have been reported statewide, and over 2.6 million Coloradans have received testing. Colorado launched a robust Spanish-language COVID-19 site Tuesday, which can be visited at covid19.colorado.gov espanol. The United States reports over 29.6 million cases of COVID-19, with an increase of around 60,000 Wednesday, along with over 537,000 deaths, with an increase of over 1,000 on Wednesday. Cases dropped by 15% the past two weeks, while deaths dropped by 32% in the same period. The only way for those not yet eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine to protect themselves and others from virus transmission and complications is by washing your hands for 20 seconds regularly, using hand sanitizer, wearing a face mask or cloth face covering, avoiding touching your face, cleaning surfaces regularly, and staying at home when possible. Information for this segment was gathered from the CSU COVID site, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the New York Times, and the Centers for Disease Control. For information on vaccine eligibility, go to covid19.colorado.gov. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. If you missed any part of our show so far, check us out on Spotify or online at kcsufm.com. We'll be right back with the weather. Today I'm joined by Natalie Whalen to talk about her story for The Collegian, which, before we start, you can check out at collegian.com. So just to get started, Natalie, do you mind introducing yourself with your name and pronouns? Um, yeah, so my name is Natalie Wyland. Um, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I've been writing for the Collegian since September this year. All right, thank you. And then before we get into these amendments, would you mind giving listeners some details on the upcoming election and explaining why it's important to vote in this one, even though it's not a general election? Yeah, so this election is going to take place on April 6, 2021. Um, there are a couple different things that are going to be decided with this one. One of the big ones is going to be um, we're electing a new mayor. Um, all of the candidates for that can be found on the Fort Collins elections website, um, which is pretty easy to find. You just have to Google Fort Collins elections. It'll come up with all of the candidates. Um, aside from electing a new mayor, districts one, three, and five are electing new representatives to city council. And district four is electing a new representative to fill a vacancy that was left by a resignation um, by someone who left to be, I believe, Larimer County Commissioner. Um, and then there's also a whole host of general ballot issues that are being voted on. Um, there are a couple um, amendments to the city charter happening. Um, one of the bigger issues that gets a lot of attention is what's going to happen to the Hughes Stadium property. Um, that one's kind of being hotly contested right now. That's also on the ballot. Um, and just in general, it's really important to vote in this election because while it is a smaller election, um, representation in city council is important. These people are the ones who, you know, um, provide a voice for their districts. Um, they're the ones making change happen at the local level. And the importance of city government really cannot be discounted. Um, so it's really important, even at the local level in these smaller elections, to take the time to vote and make your voice heard, um, just like you would in a presidential election. All right, thank you. And then Amendment 1 focuses on a process for making someone the mayor pro tem, correct? Yes. All right. Could you explain the role of mayor pro tem and why changing this process matters? 
Yeah, so a mayor pro tem um, is kind of a honed in version of the larger role of pro tem, which in government just means it's an elected official who holds the position of, they're basically um, the substitute teacher of a government position is I think the best way to describe it. So as far as mayor pro tem goes, um, this is a person who the city council chooses to um, fill the position of mayor, act as mayor in the event that the actual elected mayor is unable to fulfill their duties. So, um, you know, if they get sick, if they resign, if just something happens, they have a backup to fill these, to fill this position and make sure things are still getting done. Um, this position exists at the federal level as well. We have a um, president pro tempore of the Senate. Um, so yeah, these positions are really crucial just to make sure that the government keeps operating in the event that someone is unable to do their job. All right, and then moving on a little bit, um, what does a yes vote mean for Amendment 1? Um, so as far as Amendment 1 goes, um, this one is an amendment to the city charter. So that means um, with regards to Mayor Pro Tem, it's going to kind of change the way that this position is filled to kind of go around some of the obstacles that city council has found with it in the past. Um, for example, the current system sometimes causes the election to happen before new council members are um, sworn into office. So this now changes it to where the election for this position would happen after the recount period for these elections so that those new city council members can vote on who's gonna be mayor pro tem. Um, and yeah, so pretty much it's just meant to kind of reform and streamline the process a little bit to make sure that this position is being filled efficiently and fairly and quickly. All right, and then switching gears into Amendment 2. Uh, Amendment 2 focuses on campaign finances, and could you explain a bit more in depth about what it is and why some people are for or against it? Yeah, so... Um, this amendment to the city charter has to do with campaign finance and just making sure that um, our own campaign finance laws in Fort Collins kind of reflect what's going on as far as the changing laws at the federal and state level. So um, campaign finance actually pops up quite often in the Supreme Court. One of the more famous cases is um, Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission. That one happened in 2010 and it just had to do with, you know, kind of capping and allowing certain contributions to campaigns by corporations and individuals and things like that. So the whole goal of this second charter amendment is to make sure that this city council has more flexibility and ability to adapt to these changing definitions of campaign finance at the federal level. Um, namely, it removes the previous prohibitions that they had on um, city employees and certain other groups making campaign contributions. Um, and it just is, meant to make sure that our definition of political of campaign finances as political speech at the city level reflects reflects the way it's defined at the state and federal level. Um, as far as you know support or opposition for it, I really have not seen a lot as far as opposition for it just because mainly um, as part of writing about these amendments for the collegian, I spoke to Nick Armstrong, who is running for city council. And he told me pretty much just, you know, these amendments, both of them together are meant to just increase transparency and efficiency within the government. Um, it's not really meant to create any kind of loopholes or bad things like that. It's just a way for us to get 
more transparency, more efficiency, make sure, making sure things are running more smoothly and people understand what's happening more and city council is able to more have more fluidity with how they decide things. All right. So a yes vote would basically mean supporting these new, um, this new change to that and making sure that there's more transparency while a no vote would mean keeping it the way it is now. Yes. And that's true for both of them. If you vote yes on either one, you are voting for the changes being laid out in these amendments. And if you need more information on those um, charter amendments, the whole text of them can be found on the Fort Collins election website. It's very helpful to read it. All right. Thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you, too. All right. We'll be right back, but stay tuned on the Rocky Mountain Review. This past year has brought some interesting challenges, and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. you want to build skills in fundraising and donor relations? Get involved with the development department at KCSU. Today we experienced mostly sunny skies with low wind speeds and a high of 43 with a low of 25. As we move into the weekend, temperatures will be moving into the 50s with some extra sun starting Friday where Fort Collins will see a high of 50 with a low of 31, sunny skies and low winds. Saturday, some clouds will roll in, but temperatures will keep warming up to 58 degrees for the high and 34 for the low. About the same wind speeds and a 10% chance of rain. Sunday, clouds will continue to roll in with rain and snow showers throughout the day, with a high of 44 and a low of 27, winds starting to speed up. Monday will be almost identical along with Tuesday, and for Wednesday, you'll have to check out the Rocky Mountain Review next Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Can't make it to our live broadcast? That's all right. We post all episodes online at kcsufm.com news and on Spotify, which you can find by searching KCSU News. Information for this segment comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Thomas Taylor, Asher Korn, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Matt Guzmarati, Maddie Erskine, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. A special thanks to Ivy Winfrey, who is usually my host for the Rocky Mountain Review, who unfortunately couldn't make it today. And finally, we could never do this without you, our listeners. Thank you so much for your ongoing support. And with that, we'll see you next time.